All right. Welcome back to the Outdoor Adventures podcast. We're on episode five today, and I've got a guest with me, Brent Norlander. Say hi, Brent. Hi, Brent. Yeah, nice. That's yeah. what everyone does. Yeah. I set myself up for that one every time. Yeah. But uh, so Brent and I have known each other for quite a while. Uh, we both, we met at a big bank we were working at, and he was a mentor for me in the mortgage business, kind of taught me. He was my boss for a while, um, learned a lot from him uh, professionally, personally. Uh, but we had some good fishing times with each other. So we used to go steelhead fishing on the San Am River. Uh, that was probably our main thing we did in the summers. And I'll tell you, you know, there's people that are fishy, I would say, but I would, I would put him, I, I put myself in a good fisherman category. I would put Brent in mm-hmm. a great fisherman category. And maybe I'm fair and he's good, but we'll let him elaborate on that. Well, so. smell is not an indicator. Right, right. <laughs> but he, this guy, I mean, we'd go fishing in the morning. He would almost always outfish me. I mean, he would always catch fish. Uh, I would catch a couple, but I mean, he would usually have four or five fish on before I got into my first one. And uh, I remember one morning, though, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I had these eggs that I had gotten, and this guy cured them up for me with sugar-free strawberry jello and borax, you know, the go-to method. And they were eggs from salmon in Alaska, and we were steelhead fishing. And I was catching fish that day. And I, w- I want to say I hooked, like, two or three fish, and he hadn't touched a fish yet, so it was a very unusual day. And finally, Brent's like, give me some of those eggs. <laughs> Do you remember that? No, I tend to block out those sorts sure. of things that, you know, didn't go in my favor. Right. <laughs> well, and he'd always tell me when I'd hook a fish, oh, you got another suicide fish. You know? <laughs> so, but, you know, he's the kind of guy, great guy, great guy to fish with, can read the water really well, um, but also willing to teach other people that aren't as good at fishing as he is. And I, w- I thought it'd be great to have him on the program and talk about just some of his hunting and fishing adventures. And, um, I think, you know, your dad had a, a fly fishing company at one time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was called, uh, Norvice. It was a fly tying, uh, uh, vice. And it was the first one ever created that was rotary. So it spins. So instead of winding the thread around the hook, you basically spin the hook and hold the thread. So it's a different concept. Um, he was a research engineer and, uh, he created this thing and, Became very, very popular and started a kind of a side business as a retirement gig for himself and and did that. And it's still out there. Um, it's called the Norvice. Uh, got a real good family friend, uh, Tim O'Neill. He's on, uh, back in Delaware, actually. Um, when my father passed away a couple of years ago, we I sold it to him for a dollar. And, and so he's been running it. Um, and uh, he's a machinist and a, and a great fly fisherman and whatnot. I just had too much going on with family and whatnot. So uh, that's still out there, um, real popular. And, and the cool part about the whole thing was, you know, as he's in this, my dad was big into fly fishing, of course. And, and as we, we went around uh, as a kid, I got drug all over the world. And so you're in Russia, Venezuela, Guatemala, um, Brazil, some of these places you can't go anymore. And uh, those those things are. It's not all about the fishing. It's more about the adventure that goes with it. Oh yeah. Um, uh, not to mention there there was cool fishing for sure. Um, and and some of the stuff you do that uh, I don't even know if anybody's ever going to be able to do it again. And uh, but yeah, there's some real interesting things where you get up in 
you know, like I say, Russia or wherever, where you're like, is this really happening? And, uh, and it's I kind of the stories that go with it are kind of cool, but it's it's pretty funny. Yeah, I had no idea that it was that involved. So the, this device that he developed took you guys, what age were you? It took you all over the world. And are you going to like fly tying conferences or are you, you're actually tying up stuff and showing catching fish or what are you doing well uh, there are some of those that happen would go to uh in the fly fishing world they have the what they call the conclave which is kind of the national event uh uh, back in montana that they do every year federation of fly fishers and that's kind of where you know it started you get to get in with the who's who's of the fly fishing world and whatnot and then there's even stuff like um, actually, Albany, Oregon has the Fly Tying Expo coming up here, uh, I think, in another month or so. Um, and that's the biggest fly tying uh, expo sales thing, whatever you want to call it, on the West Coast. Oh, wow. Um, for some reason, it's in Albany. And uh, so that one uh, has always been a big thing. But mostly, be, it was just being in connection with a lot of the people that, you know, uh, fly fish around the world and uh, and getting to meet them and know them. And it was more of the... Uh, we weren't tying flies or anything while we're there, but it's just you, you get to know people that know people and, and you kind of get ins or um, we actually had a couple of them where guys were starting up fishing expedition kind of things around the world and would be kind of the test pilots. So you got to go and sample this stuff. So ever since I was you know, 12, 14 years old to um, even through college was uh, going to some of these places and you know, trying it out and then talking to the people that run these places, like, okay, what do you need? What would be, what do we need to add? What do we need to take away? Uh, just from a, an adventure standpoint. So it was kind of fun being able to be the guinea pigs. Um, not that there weren't a few disasters along the way. Um, you get stranded in places. Uh, um, you're like, yeah, this would be a really good place to have a backup rod for this reason, you know, and you hold up your busted rod and you're oh, like no. looking around and, um, you know, everywhere from, you know, getting out of helicopters and so hey, that's great. And you put your rod up in the air into the rotors. Um, my dad will never. The pilot probably doesn't like that. Dad will never admit to that one, but it was it was pretty funny. And so there are just things like that that you just kind of like, huh, okay, lesson learned on that one. I mean, what time span are we talking? Like, how many years were you guys traveling around? Oh, it was probably a 15-year window where we were going and doing that. And then life takes over when you get older and you have kids and, and do stuff. But, uh, um, you know, some of the great ones, um, you know, fly fishing in, in Guatemala uh, for sailfish, which everybody watches the TV shows and sees those guys out there. But it's a whole different ball game when you, you cast a fly and you see that thing turn around and grab it and... And then you're like, uh-oh, what just happened? And then it gets pretty exciting pretty quick. Oh, yeah. So describe the gear and the setting when you're going after these selfish. Because selfish, I believe, and I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think they're the fastest swimming fish or, or right up there with the fastest ones. I don't know if it's marlin, swordfish, or I think sailfish are some of the fastest swimmers, I think. I don't know what's the fastest. I mean, I'm sure there's you know mako sharks or something like that, <laughs> right. but, but they're pretty quick and... Uh, so what you do is you go down and uh, just like you're normally trolling, you, you put up some uh, you know bait fish on uh, teaser baits and you, you you drive around out in the ocean. You can actually see them. You actually see that sail sticking up and it's actually like a radiator. Or a, uh, they actually soak up the sun, warms up their blood, heats them up, and then they're faster because they got warmer blood. Um, and uh, so you'd see these things, but they come up behind the boat and they start 
you know, whapping their bill back and forth on these bait fish, and, and you just drag them in, drag them in, you cut the engines, and then you yank the bait out of the water, so that fish is swimming around looking for something at that point, and they're 20 feet off the back end of the boat. And you can see them, the water's super clear, and then you just throw this big 12-inch fly out there with a, uh, use a, you know, 11, 12 weight type of rod, about as heavy as she can get. They substitute us a pool cue, yeah. and, and uh, you just splat this thing back there, and then they uh, uh, come around, and most of the time they grab the thing, and, um, you know, and then it's like it's game on, and then the rodeo starts, and, and there's, it gets, it gets pretty exciting. And if you ever notice on those boats, um, the deckhands, they will always stand between you and the fish. And the reason for that is because the fish sometimes come flying out of the water next to the boat and guys have gotten killed, getting speared. Wow. And so that bill comes flying. Yeah. So they're coming at, at full speed out of the water with that thing. And so uh, when they come up four feet from the boat, they, you know, it's like a spear going any direction. And uh, uh, it's been, been known to happen. So uh, they do that and you're like, oh, okay. You know, and just little things, but. There's, there's something to be said for that, and, and they're actually not too tough. We're only using, you know, 15, 20-pound leaders on those things because they're kind of like steelhead. They wear themselves out, mm-hmm. just spazzing out, jumping on the surface. Um, you know, so you think of them as kind of like a steelhead or something uh, in terms of how they fight, and if you could just hang on, let them run around for 10 minutes or so, then you can kind of pull them up to the boat. But it's a little different story when you get a marlin because they're more like a Chinook. They grab that thing, and yeah, they'll jump and stuff, but then they go down deep, and then it's a weightlifting contest. And fly fishing, you usually don't get them. Uh, you just kind of break them off. Otherwise, you're going to be out there for hours. But Yeah, and when you're targeting billfish like that, you're going to bump into a marlin occasionally, I would imagine. And But, I mean, average size of a sailfish, maybe, what, 150 pounds would be a big one? Yeah, that would be probably big. Most of them are, you know, 80 to 100 pounds for, for a nice one, and... and uh, you get down there when it's good. Um, you know, guys can look up. It's the best place in the world to go. It's called Casa Vieja uh, Lodge. They have big tournaments down there and everything, but uh, um, usually conventional gear most of the time. But um, it's it's pretty fun. But you know, if you can actually look on their website and it has all their boats listed and they have their catch numbers for the day, and there are days when they get twenty, thirty releases on a single boat, and and that's pretty pretty good fly fishing you're not going to do that well usually a half a dozen of them is pretty good but you're uh, still going to be feeling that in your arms when you're going to bed that night i imagine oh yeah yeah your 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 forearms and everything i mean it's uh, i haven't hurt hurt that bad since the first season of baywatch right. and <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's uh, uh it's one of those just kind of bucket list things for a lot of guys it's not cheap um but you know one of those same thing um you know going to russia or uh, you know, and, and there's other stuff that guys can do that's pretty fun and exciting going to Mexico. It's, it's relatively inexpensive. Um, I just did it last, uh, a couple months ago, went down to Cancun and you could go family vacation right there on Motel Row, but there's the lagoon on the inside and incredibly good fishing in there. Um, barracuda, snook, bonefish, um, you know, tarpon, different times of year. And, you could just go there with the family and just get a guide. There's there's guides, both conventional and fly fishing guys there, and you could just go scoot out there for a you know normal couple hundred bucks, but have some you know exotic fishing if you want. Uh, and it's very very reasonable relative to the rest of the the stuff you're doing. And 
you know, you can go out and spend 200 bucks for dinner or you can go fishing all day. Yeah. I'll take the fishing trip. Yeah. Your, your wife might have a different answer, but you know, it's, well, you might have to do both. Yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with that either. And, yeah. and, uh, you could just go, but, uh, um, there's some, there's some good stuff. You just have to kind of look out. The hardest part is trying to find like, well, where, who do we call? Um, cause some of that stuff is, uh, as most guys know, whether it's hunting or fishing, you're trying to hi- find a guide somewhere cause you can't do it on your own, uh, unless you really know what's, what's up. Uh, if you don't have a friend that lives there or something, but connections are everything in the game. And if you, you know, kind of who's who, who to contact and, um, and that's the, the biggest thing I'd just tell guys is get a network of people that do that kind of stuff. And like, for example, out here, it's like, uh, you got friends that come up from Texas or wherever, you know, and we know our salmon and steelhead fishing. So you could take them out doing that. Well, then you go down there and you can go, you know, um, go hog hunting in Texas, you know, and like trading trips, yeah, trade trips. And that's, uh, I got a friend in Montana that I've hunted with for years. And that's what I do. He was, he's a guide out there and, and, uh, you just kind of like, Hey, you come over here, bring a friend over for a, you know, four or five days during salmon season. We'll go, you know, make a week of salmon fishing. And then, you know, I'd take a, take a buddy and we go out there, you know, bow hunting or whatever for elk and, and, uh, kind of make it happen. So it's pretty fun. Um, it's, but that's the hard part. And, and I know for everybody, it's the cost of doing stuff right now. And, uh, I just tell guys, it's like, have a couple bucket listers to do. And, you know, you really want to go do something wild. And some guys like, Hey, I, I want to get a, you know, I want to get a 380 elk. Um, it's like, well, you do realize what, you know, 12,000 bucks or $15,000 to go do something like that for pretty close to the same money, you know, you can go on an African safari and get five trophies. Yeah. Yeah. It's balancing where you want to spend that money in the, the hunting fishing world gear alone. You can spend a ton of money doing it yourself. Right. And I've learned over the years, I've had boats and they'll, they'll sit in my garage or sit in my carport. And I've learned I'd rather not own a boat and I'd rather go out on a guided trip three or four times a year for salmon or steelhead or sturgeon or whatever. Now, there is something about doing it yourself that is nice. Let's dig in a little bit on the Russia thing. So I, uh, I've i only ever caught exotic stuff in like Cabo, Mexico. So I've done the, you know, the, the marlin thing and Dorado and it's just amazing fishery and it's a lot of fun. And for you, I would... And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're willing to fish kind of whatever you got to fish with. You're like the conventional gear, fly gear, whatever, whatever for the situation. You're not like a purist, like I only fish with a fly. Right. Like you'll catch a fish however you can catch that fish. Yeah. I mean, and the, and that's the thing. I love fishing. And it's like, I, I, I don't, I'm not too proud. There's some certain people out there, you know, fly fishing. Well, that's only using dry flies, casting upstream to rising trout and all this stuff. And if you go to England, they're kind of like that. You have to wear a tie. You can't step in the water. They've got all these rules, mostly because their fishing sucks. And so they have to have all these rules that go with it. And, and it's a rich guy's game. And it's like, no, I, it's that for me, it's like, I just like catching fish. And uh, conventional gear is, you know, catching them on a fly, it's a different way to do it. It's kind of like archery hunting versus rifle hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just different. There's a different way to do it. It's still just as exciting. Um, and you'll get people that are hardcore into it. But... Um, for example, I'm going in July down to Mexico, yellowtail fishing. Mm. And so it's a, another one of these things, you friend of a friend kind of thing. And you get on this stuff. Um, 
it's actually Bruce Pauley, who's the CCA guy here in Oregon. Um, he's kind of running the trip. And, you know, that's all just bait casters, you know, casted topwater irons for these yellowtail. And, um, you know, haven't done that before, so I'm going to go do that. And uh, any, any kind of fishing is fun. Are you a species guy where you're trying to target, like, hey, I want to catch... You know, I've seen the... You read these articles in Outdoor Life or wherever where they'll show, you know, this guy has caught all these different species. And, it, you know, sometimes you're targeting a 7-inch fish or a 4-inch fish, but he wants to cross it off of his list. Are you are you, are you interested in that? Or are you more a big-game fisherman, if you I, will? You know, I've, I've done that where you go to, like, Alaska and you want to get the Grand Slam. So all five species of salmon on a fly, you know, uh, in, in, in one trip. Um, you know, some of them are at the front end of the run, the back end of the run. So you're catching some, you know, skanky old pumpies, and then you turn around trying to catch, you know, a, a bright coho coming in. And you're like, yeah, I've done it, um, just to say you've done it. But it's it's more fun just to just go out there and and it's spending time with your friends, your family, and and laughing. And sometimes, you know, we try to catch them in ways that are harder if the fishing's easy. Mm-hmm. Um, which everybody kind of laughs at, like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, when salmon fishing's easy, when's salmon fishing easy? There's times, and, yeah. and you get up where you're getting, um, you know, twitching for coho in, in November. Okay, it's all catch and release. You can't keep any. Um, that's a whole management. Well, describe that. What's twitching for coho? What does that mean? You basically just use a spinning rod and a jig, uh, half ounce to, you know, five-eighths ounce, whatever, um, and uh, uh, you just go up there in the tidewater sections and you just cast out and just twitch them in. It's almost like you're bass fishing. Um, but uh, it's usually when the water's cold and low, uh, after most of the fall salmon fishing's over, everybody thinks it's kind of over, but there's, there's a lot of coho and some of them are real bright, bright and nice. Um, and we've gotten, you know, 50 fish days um, on, you know, some of these coastal rivers. Uh, doing that and it's just catch and release but it's fun there's nobody else out on the river well and the water's cold so the fish aren't as aggressive probably so there's probably a little more skill set involved to get them to bite yeah it's just weird it's the conditions have to be right we've gone through those cycles where okay now we've got it figured out and and then you go the next day and it doesn't work and you're like what what, what happened i don't know but that's fishing do you have a bucket list fish if you will that you haven't caught yet i don't know if i've got a fish um you know, there's in my mind, I've always gone through and like some of these cool, you know, uh, Amazon fish and things that you've seen on these things. The big teeth or something. Yeah, those uh, tiger what, fish tiger, or whatever. Yeah. Tiger stuff, or there's the golden salmon. It's not a salmon, but they call it that. Um, there's some there's some cool fish out there, but uh, it's you know you look at these things and do the logistics, and it's it's a you know going to be a week long trip getting there, and hopefully the conditions are okay, and you might catch a couple, and mm-hmm. you're like. All right, that's that's a lot to put out there for some, you know, hail mary kind of thing. So you just usually go where places where it's it's consistent. For guys that are salmon and steelhead fishing, you know, Alaska should always be on their bucket list. And um, there's a number of different places you can go. There's some do-it-yourself places that are just if you're a half decent fisherman, it doesn't really matter. So you catch ten fish a day instead of you know forty. Right whatever. But if you're doing it yourself, again, back to your point, it's like, it's kind of cool to say, hey, we're just at this place. We got our boat and you run out there with your friends or whatever, and you fish the way you want to, and, and you catch some fish and, uh, you know, you do your thing. Um, there's a lot of those saltwater ones where you can go and you 
stay on a barge. You know, they outfit it so you're kind of camping on the barge and you got your meals and all that. And you grab your little boat and you run out and go fish the the kelp beds and stuff for whatever. And uh, there's a lot of different things. The do-it-yourself ones I kind of like because it's more of a all right, let's let's feel feel it. Go with somebody that's done it before and. Um, once you do it once or twice, then you know you're kind of the captain in charge of the trip. And again, you meet people that run these, and you trade off stuff with them, and you you can do things. So it's it, it's just all networking. It's like any other thing in the world, but um, you know it's uh, it's it's pretty enjoyable, and uh, you know it's fun to do our salmon fishing and whatnot. But sometimes you just want something different. Yeah. Oh yeah, we're spoiled. We have great salmon and steelhead fishing around here, but it's going somewhere and catching a fish you've never caught before or you know a guy like you that's good at reading water it's like okay does that translate somewhere else where i can go look at that system throw out what maybe i would throw out at home and will that still work you know that challenge of you know gear matters to a degree and there's sometimes if you don't know what you're fishing for or how to fish for it even with kokanee for example like my buddy bill he was fishing at um, odell lake and they weren't catching anything and then this guide comes up and hands them these handmade lures, and all of a sudden they're hammering the kokanee. You know, so sometimes it's that simple. It's if you're not throwing out the right thing, you may be able to read the water perfectly and you know how to run your bait through there, but if it's not the right bait, it's not going to matter. Yeah, and in most places, obviously, you can, you know, if you can read the water, hey, if a, if a trout lays in this kind of water on the, the streams that you fish, you go somewhere else, they're going to be in the same exact kind of water. They're the same kind of fish, have the same kind of you know, uh, mentality, if you will, uh, to do that. And then there's other times where we, uh, bobber fish for Chinook on the coastal river as well. Yeah. You got to be in the right place, the right time, the right depth. And we had a lot of times this last year where we're right on top of it. You could see your baits right in their face and you can't get them to go. Bait is everything. And so now you've got this whole other variable of the, the tackle. Um, you may have it all. Everybody's got basically the same stuff, but your your bait is everything. Your and, cure, the right amount of stinky sauce you put on there. Yeah, and there's these, you know, secret formulas. And again, one day something will work, another day it might not. But, you know, the key to doing that is you get you get guys that know what they're doing in the boat. You don't go out there with just one kind of egg and a sand shrimp and throw it out there. It's like you got variables. You're changing constantly until you get that combination that works. And then you kind of fish as a team. Um, we'll take four or five different cures with us when we go out there just to find you know, what's going to happen. And, uh, that's the biggest thing. And, you know, good bait is everything when you're doing that kind of fishing or, you know, other guys like trolling and, and, you know, these, the advent of the, uh, trolling systems now for like Chinook and the Tidewater, you know, we get these, uh, you know, your, your pro trolls and you, and you get this on there, they work great. And, I don't really like doing that because it's like you're just playing percentages. And yeah. Anybody can go online, look up the YouTube, how do you rig it, how long's your leader, this, that, and the other thing, and go out there. And you can do pretty well without really knowing anything about it versus spending 20 years learning how to do it. And it's like then, that whole money ball concept in baseball, right? If you if you put yeah, out the yeah. right combination, you're going to have some success at some point. You know? Yeah, you're going you're gonna to do okay, um, which is fine for a lot of guys that they don't want to do it. And we've all seen them out there, and it's like, you know, uh, it, the the worst thing you can do if you want to be successful at fishing is you see a lot of these guys they you know they get these big fancy boats you know they got their 22 foot north river or whatever and they you see these things and these guys will spend a hundred thousand dollars on this boat and it's all you know it's they're beautiful they're nice they work great but 
They got all these, you know, holographic sequins on there and these these chrome buttons. It looks like something you'd see Elton John driving through the Everglades. Okay. And and it's like the fish don't care. Yeah. But you but then you see these same guys with some, you know, grade C terminal tackle. And they don't sharpen their hooks and they just drive around out there and they finally hook a fish and they break it off and they have no idea what happened. And it's like yeah. it's all about your terminal gear and and uh but also that balance between you've got that extremist that's spending all that money and he probably has the top of the line gear and the top of the line everything and that guy that his tackle his line is 20 years old and so he's breaking off a fish obviously you don't want to be on for me i don't want to be on either end of that spectrum right i'd rather be in the middle somewhere where i've got decent gear my boat's affordable i'm not going to get divorced over bringing that boat home yeah um you know I've done the wobbler fishing thing out at Oregon City, you know, where you drop down, you're anchored, and you just drop a wobbler behind the boat, and it just sits there, and you let the current work it. And you sit there all day for that one or two fish hookup. And, I mean, I'm sure there's hotter days. I've never hit one of those hot days. But to me, it's just not as fun. It just There's not as much skill involved. You're just kind of waiting for your turn for a fish to swim by. But, it, I mean, obviously, if you catch a nice, fresh Chinook salmon with sea lice on it, that's a beautiful fish to take home and eat, and you still get to fight that fish. But yeah, I, it, it, you know, and there's there's a lot of people out there that they just like being out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen guys where I, I go up, you know, and, and people think you're weird if you're just sitting out there doing nothing. So they're fishing; they don't even care. I actually ran into a guy once; he was sitting there plunking right mm-hmm. on the in the river, and and uh, he's sitting there with his rod holder and on his lawn chair and his line's going out and sitting there. I said, well, are you doing any good? And he goes, oh, no, I won't catch anything. I said, well, how do you know that? And he goes, let me show you something. And he reeled it in, and all he had was a chunk of lead on the end of his line. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what, what are you doing? Why don't you put anything out there? I mean, plunking's not horribly effective anyway, but... It, and I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, well, he says, I don't really care, and if I put something on there, I might catch a fish, then I got to get out of my chair and do all this stuff. And he goes, I just don't want people to think I'm weird sitting here. So I put this out there. And of course, I think he's more weird for it, but it, it, but that's the... That's hilarious. Yeah. And so, and there's guys that want to go out there. They just, you know, a couple old dudes and they're just like, hey, they just want to get out of the house and they just want to go out fishing. And if they just catch a couple of fish a season, they're fine with it. And they go camp out, you know, on the Salettes or somewhere and, and doing their thing. It's um, just enjoying the river, being out in nature, seeing other guys catch fish probably for them. I, my grandma had uh, one of her friends, his name was Harlan, and he lived on the Columbia, and he had one of those bell rig-ups you know, on a dock mm-hmm. off of his – so he could be up in his kitchen, and then the bell would start ringing. And he'd only catch maybe two to four salmon a season. But it was just the thought that he was always fishing. You know, yeah. and there was something kind of cool about that. I always thought, yeah, it, and and it, and that's great. And a lot of those guys, um, you know, have had those years. Like you can only eat so many of the bloody things. So, but most people want to be successful, and if nothing else, you take other people. I love taking other people, and um, you know, but like I say, I work at it pretty hard. We're we're out there for a purpose. We're focused, and a lot of guys think, hey, fishing. It's like, hey, we get the boat, and like you know, their their primary goal is who's got the beer. And, and they get out in the lake and they want to sit in the sun and, you know, if they catch something, they do, if they don't, they don't and whatever. But, um, then there's the whole other group that are, Hey, look, we're getting up at four in the morning. We're doing all this stuff, you know, um, spend a hundred bucks on fuel getting there. It's like, we, we want a realistic chance of catching something. Yeah. I'm definitely in that group. I I don't want to just hang out. I'm not, I mean, I will, and I'll still have fun no matter what, even if I don't catch something, but my purpose when I get out fishing is to catch a fish, especially if I'm getting up at four o'clock in the morning and spending a hundred bucks on fuel. Yeah. And, and you're trying to, and, and it is hard here sometimes because the, 
uh, you could get into the the biology of things. You know, I was a fisheries biologist way back when, and it was like you could get into all of the why aren't there fish here and why this and the arguments and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's supposed to be just getting out and, and enjoying yourself. We do want to catch fish once in a while, so you do have to work at it. And uh, again, I don't worry too much about, you know, the shiny boats and, and all this stuff, but, you know, your gear, you know, always has to be perfect. How did I not know that about you? Because I, I have a fish and wildlife degree, and I didn't know we had that commonality with each other. So that's that's funny. I didn't know that you had that background. That yeah. makes sense to me, though, because you've always been, I would say, a, a student of the craft and, if if you will, a teacher, because you you know how to read water. You know kind of how to have your leader lengths right. And you always, you, you know, you, the details matter to a degree. Mm-hmm. But like on our previous episode, we talked about how you can still throw out for a steelhead a 12-pound leader with a big spinning glow and, or a 12-inch leader, 12-pound, whatever, just the gear that everybody else would make fun of you for and still catch a steelhead. Sometimes you can. And it's like it, you're always playing the percentages. And that's, the, you know, that's kind of what you're trying to do. It's like you know, fish where the fish are, rule number one. I mean, you, know, you could have the best gear in the world, but if there's no fish there, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and if you fish where the fish are, it's like, what do they want? And a lot of it's trial and error. Most of us growing up like steelhead fishing, we spent many, posted many zeros, right? Going, standing on the river bank, throwing here and there, getting hung up in the trees and throwing this. And you find out, it's like, wow, if my leaders weren't long enough. I've been fishing with too short of leaders, which drops your percentage rates, you know, in this particular setup or whatever it may be. But you just, I always spy on the guys that are catching fish. Keep an eye on the guys that are catching fish. What are they using? How long are leaders? What are they? What technique are they using? Little tiny things make a huge difference. Um, you know, what's their retrieve rates right? And and uh, all these things. And if nothing else, uh, a lot of guys are actually pretty friendly about it. Ask them. Yeah. And some of them won't tell you. You know, and some of them will. But you just every time you go out, learn something. Yeah, and we. I remember you telling me years ago, if you don't know how to fish a river, go with a guide. Go with him a couple times and pay really close attention to what he's doing. I mean, you're paying him to take you fishing. You might as well learn from him. Yeah, and some guides are pretty cool about it. Just tell them, hey, I, I got my own drift boat. I, I just I want to learn this river, um, you know, and no secrets. I'm just asking you, you know, I want to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, some guys will tell you, you know, they usually keep one or two secrets to themselves. But for the most part... Uh, you know, they can kind of show you what's up. Um, and they're usually pretty good about that. But, but uh, you know, always pay attention to the, the people and you should, you know, you're learning something every single time you go. And that's, that's really the key is like, you know, ask yourself when you're done with the day, what did I learn today that I didn't know yesterday? Yeah. And if you can't answer that question, you know, uh, that's a bummer. But, but to your point, you go back and you ask the guides, you know, uh, hey, what's going on? And, People are like oh, I don't want to spend you know two hundred fifty bucks or two hundred seventy five dollars to go fishing with a guide you know blah, blah blah I'm like well how many times are you going to have to go at you know fifty or hundred bucks a crack by yourself to figure out what's going on you're going to learn more fishing with a guide in a day or two than you are in a season and if you like to eat fish and you're paying fifteen to twenty two bucks a pound for it in the grocery store you know that guide seems pretty cheap if he puts you on two fish you know. <laughs> And even if you do it, even if you do it yourself, it's like yeah, you don't want to do the math on what a salmon costs you per pound to catch it. Right, it, it's hundreds of dollars a pound, and you're just like, oh, and but, but it's that's not, not about, why we do it. Yeah, right. It's not about that. And it's funny you've hit on a lot of the points we've talked about on the show previously, as far as just 
why we're out here doing the things we're doing. I think a lot of people, you know, that don't do these things, they're just like, why would you want to kill that? Or why would you, it's not about that. It's about the camaraderie and getting out there with your friends and family, teaching other people how to do it. Um, all that kind of stuff. So, um, before we switch gears and talk about some of your hunting trips, I'd like to hear about what you're doing with kids right now. So you've got a program with kids that you, where you're taking kids fishing. Um, yeah, it's a, a national organization. It's called cast for kids. Um, and uh, I've been volunteering for a couple of years. And then just this last year, I started being an event coordinator. They do, shoot, I think they do about 100 a year. Um, now where it's, we take disabled kids, um, uh, developmentally disabled. So autism, Down syndrome um, are typically the bulk of them. But any disadvantaged kids, 6 to 18, and we've got a few events um, and it's just the day. It doesn't cost them anything. We get sponsors and everything. They show up and they get a you know uh, a rod and a tackle box and t-shirts and hats and you know feed them lunch and uh, we basically set up a, a successful fishing opportunity. Um, we've got a, a private lake up here in uh, Jefferson, Lake Charles. Uh, uh, Andy Kiesiker, a friend of mine, he owns the place and lets us use that. Uh, are you stocking it, it with trout or? And yeah, I'm going to have it stocked mm-hmm. uh, coming up here. So make sure the kids are. Um, you know, going to have some success and um, do that. We do uh, one out of Newport. They go crabbing. Um, and so what we do is we get volunteers. Um, and anybody can go on there, Look, just look up Cast for Kids uh, Foundation events. You can volunteer. Any guys that want to go out, we do some boat events, so boat captains, and then you'll get, you know, with a parent or guardian with the kid, and you go out there and um, but we do them at Hag Lake. Uh, I've got one down on the Umpqua. Um there's like there's a couple more that they're starting up here in Oregon this year, um, but they're they're all over the country. Uh, they even do them in New York City in Central wow. Park, and uh, but we set them up and it's just a uh, it's a great way to give back to the community. Just you know you know show these kids some love and uh, and you get volunteers and it's just kind of a neat thing and um, do that and that's a uh, that's kind of the big one and the the national director is a guy named Jay Ellis. Um, uh, he lives here uh, up in Turner. And uh, uh, he's uh, for those of you that are into bass fishing, you might might know know the name. Um, he's got got some world championships. He just got inducted into the Bass Masters Hall of Fame this last year, uh, and uh, he's officially retired from bass fishing. But he does this 100% of the time now, uh, full time as the national director. And uh, um, it's just it's a great organization, a great way to meet other people, other fishermen, um, and. Uh, you know, do some good for the community and whatnot. It's just, uh, it's been been really fun to kind of do that. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And I bet watching those kids probably catching their first fish and stuff, that's got to be something cool to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, any anytime you can go fishing, it's way more fun to watch a kid catch a fish, you know, whether it's a salmon or a steelhead or something. You, know, you go back and think about the first one you ever caught. Everybody remembers the first steelhead they caught. Oh, yeah. Yep. You don't I remember. Think, I'm thinking about it right now as you're saying it. So. Yeah. Do you remember? You know, it's like everybody goes, oh, you remember? I don't remember the 112th fish I caught, or, you know, or anyone in between. You know, maybe the last two, there's a couple that you remember, but for the most part, not that big a deal. But that first one and watching a kid do it, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the greatest days of their life. And, and, even even just a, a bluegill or a, a, a trout somewhere, you know they they remember that, and so uh, you're part of that, and and it's it's just something that's pretty cool, and and just sharing the outdoors, whether it's fishing or hunting, um, you know kids are always fun to go go do stuff with. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. I let's shift gears a little bit and we'll talk a little bit about your hunting. Kind of, I know you used to bow hunt here in Oregon and then do some rifle hunting, but then you've done a couple trips in Montana. So, which, wherever you want to start there, and just tell us about kind of your experiences hunting. Well, I'm way more, uh, I, I guess I would say, uh, seasoned uh, at fishing than hunting. But you know, anything outdoors, right? So, um, but you know, we've always had the the fun ones. Uh, uh, yeah, I did a lot of archery hunting. I still do a little bit. Um, uh, but mostly uh, Montana and whatnot. Oregon is a tough place to hunt. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it, you know, you, it's, it's almost a private land thing unless you really work at it uh, to be successful here. Um, and again, same thing, knowing people. Do you have private property you can hunt? Um, you know, blacktail hunting or whatever. And um, uh, it's, but hunting is a whole nother thing. And again, like you were talking about before, it's not about killing something. I mean, yes, that's what we're kind of, that's the, the pinnacle of it, you know, in terms of getting the killing part of it's probably the least fun of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's the hunt, it's the camaraderie, it's the adventure, and it's, uh, it's just kind of, it's being out there and it's feeling like, you know, you're out there, you know, it's like ancestral kind of instincts kick in and, and uh, it, it's hard to uh, explain to people that are non-hunters. They're like, why, why, what's so exciting about, you know, you know, crawling through a bunch of prucker brush and getting all cut up and spending a bunch of money and, you know, sweating like a pig. And, you know, if you're real lucky, you get to kill something and then you got to deal with that and pack it back and the pain. And it's like, what, why would you want to do that? Uh, if you have to explain it to somebody, it's pointless. Yeah. You got to show them. You can't explain it. It's not a, there's, is it an intangible to getting out there, the pursuit of an animal getting on a track or the smells like elk hunting, you smell them usually before you see Mm -hmm. them. Right. And just those things that until you've done it, you just don't know what it feels like. And so, and obviously I I know you enjoy the meat. I enjoy the meat. Like they're, they're good tasting animals. They're, they're all natural, organic, you know, most of the time, I think (laughs) you never know what they're eating. You never know anymore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, For sure. And it's, and it's, again, it's just kind of, this is, this is how it used to be. Um, and, you get out there and you just yep you have fun with it and you can you know you cook and you can you know do different things with them and it's kind of like your prize right when you come home with the thing and you're hanging it up there and you're playing with the meat and you're cutting it up and doing all this stuff and you know that's just kind of part of the whole experience with it and you know again from a cost standpoint no you're better <laughs> off just buying a half a beef and 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 you're good to go um, but it's you know it's what we do it's just kind of it's the fun part of it and. Uh, you know, and guys get to, again, play with their toys, right? You know, you see yeah. everybody gets their, oh, I got this new gun and this and that. And it, it always made me laugh because you'd see these guys at the range and they're all sitting there trying to dial in at 600 yards and they're talking about how accurate they are. And I'm like, well, that, that's great, but you're 100 pounds overweight. You're never going to get in the spot where you're going to get the shot to make it like that, you know, and and uh, it's, it's and you're you're not shooting from a bench sitting on top of a mountain. It's like, you practice it, you know, when you're at the range or whatever, it's like, you know, do a couple of wind sprints for a hundred yards and then do a standing shot at, at 200. That's what you're going to get. Yeah. You know? Well, the fitness piece has always been, I think, important to you. You've always been able to stay in decent shape and be able to get out there and do the things you want to do. And I know, I remember you telling me when about bow hunting, cause I was shooting just a standing target. So that same thing, well, change your target, get it up, get it low get yourself winded first, you know, prepare for those situations you're actually going to see in the field so that when you encounter it, you're not going to screw it up. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, when you're shooting, everybody's practicing all summer, right? So they're going out after work, and it's you know seventy five degrees, and they they pull their bow out there, and they stand there in the backyard and shoot thirty yards across at their little target, and they think they're great. And I'm like, put all your gear on, you know, come up at first light, and then practice shooting from your knees, hiding in the bushes, shooting around stuff, leaning while you're shooting, doing all because you know uphill, downhill, because you know the deer is not going to be standing broadside in a field waiting for you to walk up and get ready and stretch out and and take your shot and yeah we're not hunting cornfields it isn't the midwest out here you know you're high elevation totally different topography a lot of brush you know yeah and it's it's ugly I was uh had a, a deal i was talking to a guy named nathan endicott is uh wayne endicott owns the bow rack down yeah. Oh, yeah and mm-hmm. um and nathan's he's he's a absolutely fantastic hunter and uh, i was listening to some seminar stuff he was doing and and some guys were asking him, was like well how do you do successful blacktail hunting and he goes you're gonna hurt that's it that was the message and you're like well that's that's no fun he goes, yeah you're gonna be cold your hands are gonna be numb you know are your gloves on are they off you know can you shoot that way have you tried it and it's like everybody goes out there in the woods and it's like how do you get one he goes you you know, you got to work at it and you're going to be uncomfortable. That's the the bottom line. It hurts. Some of the stuff hurts. Oh yeah. And you're learning as you go. I mean, my brother was on here for our first episode and he talked about, you know, yeah, you can watch everything on YouTube and you can, you know, go to seminars and listen to people that know we're doing it. And I think that's great. Educate yourself. But he's like, sometimes I like to just figure it out while I'm out there and like go through some of the pain because then you appreciate that reward at the end a little bit more. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, it's the it's the you know it's like sports or anything else. It's like the harder it was to achieve, the more rewarding it is. And I mean, uh, a cow elk is a trophy. Mm-hmm. You know, if you shoot it in the right conditions, um, and uh, you know any animal should be a trophy. Honestly, I mean, you shouldn't just be out there. It's like getting all bummed out because you didn't get the the big wall hanger or whatever. It's you know it's a it's a gift, and you got to take it and. And uh, it's just, it's the experience with everything, like you keep saying, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's a visceral thing, but, you know, the whole point is to struggle a little bit in the process. And, you know, if you if you got a got an animal every time you went out, you'd be kind of like, eh, you know, what's, what's the point? Yeah, and, you don't cherish those moments as much. Yeah, the harder it is, the more rewarding it is when you finally get one. And, uh, you know, we've posted plenty of zeros mm-hmm. and, and that's just what happens whether it's fishing or hunting you just kind of go out and you know you do what you can but you learn something every time again same thing hunting and you find out what works for you and most of us that have shot you know uh, whether they're you know these big bucks or or uh, you know big bull elk or just a, a cow elk or whatever it might have been um the, the the shot you ended up making wasn't what you visualized it's something weird it's, it wasn't what you dreamed about the it, night before. Yeah, it was yeah. not what you're laying there and you're kind of going, oh, man, this is, this is the shot I'm going to make. And it's like, no, no, it's, it's not the sports field version of the, the dew was lifting off the ground, you know, the mist and, you know, and the bull was bugling. And, you know, it's like you had an 80-yard broadside at him and, you know. He was no. staring right at you. Yeah. No, usually it's, you know, you're crawling through, you're half through the prucker brush, you're bleeding because you got something in your eye and he's got a mosquito bite on your ear. And then you hear something and you turn and you look and you're busted and you're sitting there sideways halfway up the hill and this elk's staring at you. And you're like, uh-oh. And 
you somehow got the shot off and made it, you know. Isn't it funny how those least prepared moments are usually when the animals show up? Even with fishing, you know, you're even just getting ready and you're like, oh, I'll just throw this cast out and I'm not quite ready. Oh, man, I got to, you know. And it, that happens all the time, especially in fishing because you're like, oh, man, it's like I've been paying attention. I was watching my bobber all day long and as soon as I turn around, it goes under. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, the reality of it is, is you're really not paying attention more than you think. Yeah, or your cell phone rings or something or like... In the hunting thing, it seems like whenever somebody goes to go use the bathroom in the woods, that's when we'll see something. You yeah. know, it just never fails. Yeah, it's that one time where you stop to sit down and have something to eat or whatever. You know, you've been you've been you know prowling around like a mountain lion all day long. You know, pointed up, and then you know that ten minutes where you just kind of like oh, you just lean against a tree, and all of a sudden you see something out of the corner of your eye, and you're like, really? Yeah. It, it's that's you know, but I think a lot of that has to do with the simple fact that we're not really focused and ready to go as much as we think we are. Yeah. And, no, you're right. And especially fishing. You'll go all day long and you're like, oh man, I got three, three fish today. And it's like, and every one of them, I wasn't, I, I was, it was right when I wasn't paying attention. I'm like, no, 80% of the time you weren't paying attention. You were, you know, figuring out what you're standing in or you're, you know, fiddling with your repositioning or, or whatever. Yeah. Or you're looking where I put my coffee cup or something, you know, and it, it's just, that happens. And, and, uh, yeah, the more you think about it, you're kind of like, okay, how many, how many, you know, fish have you caught, or, or you know, uh, you're duck hunting or something like that, and it's like, man, I've been lucking all morning, I haven't seen anything, and all of a sudden, boom, they were on me. You know, mm-hmm. Like, now nah, it's like half of your shots are like that. Why? Because you're really not that dialed in. You know? Yeah. No, I agree. I remember the first time I went bobber fishing, and my I'd never bobber fished for salmon before, and we were fishing a uh, like a slot on the Alsea River. And it was bedrock on both sides. And then we were in like 14 feet of water. But my bobber depth was set at nine feet. My bobber goes completely under and I don't do anything. And my buddy next to me is like, why didn't you set that fish? I'm like, oh, it was the bottom. He's like, dude, we're in 14 feet of water. That was not the bottom, <laughs> you know? It, there's a lot of that where you're like, and that's where when I take guys fishing, I'll be like, okay, we're in nine feet of water. We're setting at seven foot. If that thing goes under, there's only one thing that is going to make that go under, and it's not a stick because there's there's no sticks in here. It's not the bottom. It has to be a fish, and and uh, or you'll find yourself you, you know like in the afternoon when you're kind of tired, you're kind of zoned out. You'll find yourself staring at the thing, and it goes under, and you still don't react because you're just like, uh, what? oh shoot, you know, it's like that that three second pause. It's like when you're driving and you're 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 half asleep and you start going off the line on the road. You know you're doing it, but you're still going off the road until you kind of like realize to yourself what's actually happening and that that happens a lot you know uh out there but uh, uh staying focused it's it's hard to do and if you're going to be successful you got to concentrate even yeah. if you're even if you're trolling or whatever it's like is there is my stuff running right you know did i just go through a, a you know patch of weeds is there junk on my gear you know and uh, you know the the more you pay attention, the better you're going to do. Yeah, I think there's guys that probably troll all day with a big old wad of weeds on the back of their rig. Oh, I've, you know? I've seen them do that herring fishing where you see them let out their line, and you can see the seaweed gumming up on their line as they're letting out, and they just drive around for a, you know half an hour without checking. It's like you, you never had a good bait down there to begin with. Yeah. Um, well, and your wife is an outdoors woman as well, right? Yeah, she'll go and do stuff. Um, uh, you know, she's... She's worked up in Alaska and whatnot. Um, she worked, you know, on crab boats. She was, you know, cooking on crab boats and stuff and, and did all that. Um, and uh, uh, she's gone out, not really big into hunting and fishing, but she's gone to Alaska with me and whatnot. Um, 
you know, she'd never hunted really before. I took her elk hunting and, uh, you know, it, you know how it typically goes. It was her entire elk hunt lasted about an hour. Because, oh, look, there's one, bang, and they fall over. Well, this is easy. Yeah. And they why, just do like, you, why did you take so long to get one? I got one right away. Yeah, yeah. You're like, just go, go get in the, you know, she's, I'm cold. I'm going to go get in the truck, you know, and you're like standing there and like, well, Okay, and then they you know, get home like, well, that was easy. Yeah. How come it takes you three or four weekends? What's the deal? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like the guys that have never been salmon fishing before in the first 10 minutes, that, you know, they, they get a 30-pounder, and you're like, you should just quit now. Yeah, yeah. Well, my, my first of everything, that, that mule deer I have here in my office, that was my first buck, biggest buck I've taken so far, and that was my first one. My biggest salmon I've ever caught in a river was a 40-pounder my first time, you know catching one i mean I'd, it took me a while to catch that first one but it was a, probably the biggest fish i've caught in the river it's so. usually how it goes yeah you just kind of it uh you know there's i've done stuff with my son you know fly fishing you know the first trout he ever caught was was eight and a half pounds you know up at wow. crane prairie a big fish when he was you know five years old and you know it's just like hey i've hung up you know and it's like what and you see the line moving you, you get it in there and you're like there's there's guys that fish their entire lives as hardcore fly fishermen that never catch a trout that big yeah you know it's just it happens and an eight and a half pound trout that's a big trout it is a big trout but it, it's just stuff like that where you just shake your head and you're just like you got to be kidding me and i've done that guiding a lot too where you take people out there and and they're just like wow you know well that was easy and did you used to you used to be a guide at one time like for a living um i used to uh guide up in alaska uh, in the summertime i was a fly fishing guide up there and uh, i'd do that um and i actually taught high school so i'd come back down in the fall and then teach all year and then go up there for three months uh, and do that um you make more money as a guide than you do as a teacher go figure but uh, uh and then i uh down here in Oregon, um, I used to years ago guide here because it was you know, paid for your habit, give you an excuse to go buy stuff yeah, uh, and more toys. The problem with being a guide, everybody thinks it's like this great, oh, man, you catch all these fish and you get to go fishing every day. And I can could, I could tell you the last thing you want to do on your day off is go fishing with your friends. Yeah. And then your quote-unquote friends will say, hey, how about a buddy trip? And you're like, okay, that's cool. It's like, well, we might as well take your boat since you got it rigged up and you, and well, you, got, all, you got all the gear and well, you know where to go. And you know, it's, you're better at driving the boat. And next thing you know, you just took your friends on a free guided fishing trip and which is okay to a certain point, but you're kind of like, nah, I just want to go somewhere else and fish a different way or do something. It's just like a contractor, right? Usually the contractor's house has got all the half projects because he's so tired of working on everybody else's houses that he doesn't have time to work on his own. Yeah, or if he does have time, the last thing he wants to do is do that. So their houses are tore up for six years while they're trying to renovate something. And it's it's no different um, fishing. Even if the fishing's good, sometimes you just want a day off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you want to sleep in, you know. Yeah. And guys are ringing you off the hook when they know the fishing's good, so they they want to get out there. And so you, as a guide, you got to keep hustling. Yeah, it's amazing how many friends come out of the woodwork when the fishing's good, or you know, there's something good going on, or they want to know something. And uh, and yeah, you can help them out and do some stuff, but uh, uh, it is kind of funny to watch how they're like, well, you know, where are you like today? Okay, it's cold, it's wet, it's rainy. There's not that many fish in the river. It's not hasn't been that great. Um, are those guys fishing today? No, they're gonna wait until they hear it's good. But how do they hear it's good for those guys that are out there doing it? And you got to put in your hours. And 
um, and having a network of, of people that fish, if you really want to catch fish, you need you know six or eight guys that go themselves. They don't just wait to hear about it. They actually go, and we do that like, hey, somebody go down and check out you know this river or that river, and okay, I'll go down there and I'll fish it tomorrow. Everybody gets on the phone at night. Who who did what? What did you see? How'd you do? And you kind of narrow it in. Um, and then, you know, you kind of work as a team. You kind of have a sideline. That's what all the guides do. Yeah, um, you're maximizing your efficiency that way too because you're not able to get out there as much as you want to. And I think you're the kind of guy that you, you want to have a pretty good chance of catching a fish, yeah. especially if you're taking somebody and you're wanting to get them on a fish. So and you're eliminating some variables by doing it that way. Yeah, and there's there's times when you're like, hey, I don't know anybody that's been fishing down here or a place that nobody's fished before. Like somebody's got to go figure this out. So you go down there. Nine out of ten times, it's a bust. But every once in a while, you're like, oh, geez, you know, hey, we went bobber fishing on this. You know, you notice I'm not mentioning any river names. Um, and, and these, you know, some little stream that not too many people fish. And we're like, dude, I got, uh, we got 26 today. Yeah. I'm like, that's... oh, you know, and so, you, you know, you get on the horn and you share that information with your, with your friends. And then they can come down and, and fish it out and then. By the same token, you know, you got friends up north, down south, wherever, and they call you and you find out where the fish are. And so your odds all of a sudden go way, way up. And and some people just focus on one river, you know, like I fish the Salats. And sure, that's a pretty consistent and, you know, that's they know every rock in there and they're comfortable fishing it. But, you know, if you can branch out and pick out several different rivers where you kind of know... Um, and again, have somebody that you know is an expert on that river, and then you just go back and forth, and that's your odds go way, way up. And part of the part of the whole outdoors thing, whether it's fishing or hunting or wherever, is to you know go someplace different, see something. You know, you've seen these guys at these picket fence fisheries right below the hatchery creeks. You know, um, you know, used to be up on the the South Sandy Yam. You know, right at Waterloo. And so these guys, they show up every day. They stand on the same rock. Mm-hmm. And they go through the same motions. Sure, you catch quite a number of fish sometimes but you're doing the exact same thing. You're just playing the percentages. I'm like, how exciting is that going to be? Yeah, it's like owning a vacation home in the same spot. You're going to the same things. And there's something about that. There's nostalgia, and you get used to your routines, and you enjoy it. And if that's what you like, like your guy that throws a piece of lead out there and sits there. You yeah. know, maybe that guy loves that rock, and that rock is like his place. And so for some people, that's enough. I'm more like you, where I want to go try new stuff. I want to go to a different water, different way of fishing completely, or go with somebody that can show me something new and have a whole new experience. Yeah, it's it's just being it's it's the variety of stuff too. And it's guys like, well, I know if I go here, I'll probably catch a fish, but if I go somewhere else, I may not. I'm like, well, how are you gonna get it? I mean, some guys, you know, they you look at their punch card at the end of the year and like look at how many fish I caught. And I'm like, well, that that's great. They're all in the same place. I'm like, you learned one spot really well and you go there every day. Great. If that's your you know, that's your thing. I suppose that's fine. But it's like, wouldn't you rather be good, at, you know, be pretty good at a whole bunch of different kinds of fishing in different places? Or do you want to be really good at one spot? Yeah. And it's like, great. You could shoot free throws all day long, but you know, you, you can't make a jump shot from 14 feet. Yeah. And you put you in a situation that isn't that exact circumstance, you're probably not going to catch a fish. Yeah, I've seen guys do that where they park the boat in the same place, do the same thing. Well, I've caught fish here before, and they just sit there and pound it. And, yeah, they catch a couple fish now and then. But The crazy thing about fish is they're moving. Yeah, that's funny how that works. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, it, and they move around. I mean, it's – but they – 
I mean, yeah, it's a good place to start. If you're out there, it's like, all right, do what you know worked before, but keep your eyes open and don't be afraid to try something different. Or every time you go out, it's like, I'm going to try one different hole. I'm going to try one other, you know, style of fishing. I'm going to try, you know, doing something different just to see. And again, most of the time it doesn't work. But every now and then you stumble onto something and or maybe it only works for that day or that week or that season, but it's something to put in the archives. And um, the guys I know, uh, we all keep journals. Um, if you fish a couple days a week, you're going to forget stuff. Like, oh, shoot, what do we do in September when the water was real low? Okay. I don't know. We've had high water for three years. I can't remember. Oh, and you go back and you look. What was the water temp? What was the, you know, this, that, and the other thing? What were the water levels at? You know, where, oh, we thought the fish were going to be here, but they were actually there. And then you go, you Well, and a lot of guys just won't fish if it's too high. If the water's up, they just were like, well, it's a bust. Water's too high. And I've always been that guy that, why not? You're there. You've put the energy to get there. Maybe you can't go on the boat and you're throwing it off the bank or whatever because the water's not safe, but you still might hook a fish. I mean, it's amazing. I've caught fish in really fast, muddy, moving water just throwing out a lure and letting the, cur- the current work it, you know, and you got a heck of a fight on your hands in that current, but. Oh yeah. And that's, and, and you learn different stuff. I mean, you fish someplace, you know, you're catching fish where you were standing a week before, you yeah. know, and they move up on, you know, different areas. And, and uh, that's the thing is, you know, all oh, water's too high and dirty. And I'm like, well, contrary to popular belief, fish do quite well in water, regardless <laughs> of what color it is. Um, they're somewhere. Um, are they difficult to catch? Yeah. Um, and most of the time, again, you will, you know, you kind of strike out, but what, again, what did you learn? Oh, high water. You can't fish these areas. You have to go to these too much current. You have to, okay. When the water's low, where do they go? Oh, there's a bunch of snags in that area, but they do hold fish on, you know, in this, this condition. And it's just adding that little bit of information all the time. And like I said, you get, you get a half a dozen guys, all of which that fish a couple times a week, keep journals for 20 years. You got a pretty good database. I always thought there's some way that we got to put that into some computer program where we can just type in, I want to go fishing, where should I go? And it'll yeah. just sort through all the data, yeah. you know, and it'll just tell you, oh, you should the be going. Algorithm yeah, say, the algorithm will say, this is where you says, go. Put in here day. at this time, fish this tide, here, here, and here, you know. This integ- moon cycle. Yeah, <laughs> integrate it with the tides and the water levels and the time of year and the, and the, the ODFW forecasts and everything. It's like, it'd be pretty complicated, but it'd be kind of like, I always thought it'd be funny to just kind of like have some sort of high tech algorithm. Yeah. I don't have that skill set to put that together, but I'm sure somebody does. Well, the, the old guys call it spidey senses, right? It's just like, you, you just kind of like, what does it feel like? Well, I can tell you, I uh, appreciate you coming on today. And I, you know, with you, we'll go two, three years and we don't talk to each other. And then I bumped into you the sportsman show a while back. Uh, and it's always like talking to a friend. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, I can pick up the phone and you always say something funny as soon as I call you, <laughs> and it usually gets me laughing, and it's it's always good to talk to you, and I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, absolutely. It's always great, and, and hang out. It's like, wish we could go out all the time and do stuff, but it's, you know, life and kids and uh, all these sorts of things, but, you know, maybe we can get a lawn chair and tie a piece of lead on and go sit by a river somewhere. That sounds great. I'm in. All right. Thanks, Brent. <laughs> you bet. Thanks. Take care. Bye.